Welcome to the My Why Podcast, where educational storytellers Jesse Mann and Kristen Travers discuss identity-defining moments with special guests. Inspiration ensues. Hey you, whoever you are and wherever you are, welcome to the Identity Project, a My Why Podcast. Know that we appreciate you listening in. We have awesome supporters downloading weekly in over 15 countries and have shared educational and empowering stories nearly 20,000 times through our podcast. Where's your regular podcasters though? With Kristen surviving a stroke in 2015 and losing her ability to communicate for months, and myself being someone who has always kind of struggled to find the right words, we are two women who have a passion to connect with others and share stories of resilience, grit, and grace. We offer a disclaimer for today's story as it covers very sensitive material. Please reach out to someone you trust or dial 911 if this is triggering for you. We love when you reach out and feedback is always welcome. If you have a suggestion about someone you recommend we reach out to, are interested in supporting a story, or ever have questions, let us know. Times are crazy right now, and we're all about connections during COVID. We want to welcome our next guest here on My Why. As usual, there's nothing usual about this story. Today's topic might be a little triggering and uncomfortable for some, as it talks about our parents' worst nightmare. We're talking about childhood sexual assault. Around 60% of assault victims are under the age of 17, and one in seven girls and one in 25 boys will be sexually abused or assaulted before the age of 18. Today, we are talking to Nicole, a survivor of childhood abduction, assault, and rape at the age of seven in a small town in rural Alberta. So please feel free to stop this recording at any time reach out to someone, or follow self-care practices to keep yourself feeling safe and supported. Welcome, Nicole. Hi, Nicole. Hi. Thanks for Hi. having me today. Thank you so much for coming. So for our listener, we are coming in via Zoom again. Uh, obviously, COVID has us um, snuggled into our individual homes. And Nicole, we wish that we could have coffee with you here in the podcast pad. But, you know, it's great to see your face through technology. And thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. So Kristen heard you speak at a health professionals conference and your story really, really stuck with her. And obviously when she shared it with me, it, um, it stuck with me as well. So you shared a piece of writing at that conference and we understand that uh, this may be the best way for our listeners to start to get to know you. And um, we understand you'd like to maybe read it for us now. Yeah, I would love to. Yeah, here we go. Um, as a seven-year-old, your worries are pretty minimal. What's for breakfast? This is my family. These are my friends. School is kind of okay at this point and so on. I don't remember details about my life before the age of seven. And I think the beginning of trauma in my life at that stage was the reason why. So on October 16th, 1997, I was walking home from school one day and I was approached by a man I had seen in the park numerous times before. But on this particular day, I happened to be alone and was a pretty easy target. This stranger persuaded me to follow him to what he called a camp where he promised other kids would be and many other fun things for me to do would be there. As a naive little girl, despite being taught safety rules, I didn't think twice and quickly found myself in a really scary, dangerous situation. I was alone with a strange man in a man-made shack in the woods. I remember standing inside this shack he lured me into and... I had all, all of maybe 10 seconds to look around before he shut and locked the door. As soon as the door shut and he locked it, I knew this was pretty serious. Before the door shut, I remember seeing a saw hanging on the wall and thinking to myself, that looks really scary. Why does he need that? For the next thing I knew, I was pushed onto this mattress on the floor. While this stranger did things that felt really uncomfortable, I looked over at one point during the assault, looked at the saw and thought he's going to kill me. For some reason I knew I had to secure my life somehow. I remember vividly asking the man, will you let me go when you are done? To my relief he said, yes. I made sure to keep him accountable to his promise to let me go by asking him to cross his heart that he let me go. He then responded to yes, I crossed my heart I'll let you go when I'm done now, be quiet. When he was done with me, he took me back through the woods the same way we came, lifted me over the barbed wire fence and looked me in the eyes and said, don't you ever tell anyone what happened here today. 
I looked at him with other fear and promised to never tell anyone. The next part is straight out of a movie. I remember walking away slowly just to make sure he wouldn't change his mind and grab me. As soon as I walked away far enough past the bushes, I knew I was safe enough to run. And just as I began to run, it began to rain. Looking back on that scene, in that vulnerable moment, it was as though God was crying. Somebody hurt his child. I believe God grieves as we grieve. I then reached the front door of our rental home. My sister and her friend were on their way to come find me. I quickly ran past them, locked eyes with my mom and began to cry. I told her everything. Years later, she told me this was not a cry she had ever heard before. She quickly began to find out her worst nightmare had become a reality. Although this man did not take my life, he took something from me that day that was going to take years of therapy to make sense of. He took my innocence. He tainted my view of other men. He made me afraid. But over time, I was going to figure out how not to be afraid, how to live a life of strength and perseverance. The Lord knew I needed a mom like her. Thankfully for me, my mom was trained in how to deal with trauma. We got to work right away. After we caught the man that had hurt me, we found him that night. And by we, I mean my mom, the counselor that was there to support us, and the police. I took them back to that place. He just had to be walking back to his home with an armful of groceries. The thing is, uh, with this particular man, he was on the police's radar. He had been reported before, but nothing was ever done about it. He was just living there illegally, and all it took was the courage of a seven-year-old little girl for the police to take action. This just goes to show that the kind of support I had was the kind a lot of kids, women, and many other individuals don't get or feel when they have gone through something traumatic. I'm thankful my mom was there to listen. She stayed calm and she handled the news of someone hurting her, her child maturely and took immediate action. After the offender was taken into custody, I went to the police station and gave a video recorded statement of the events that had happened hours before. A social worker with dolls was present to help me show them what happened. I remember feeling really uncomfortable, but I also felt safe. My mom was there. I knew it was going to be okay. Everybody was really nice. One of the policemen gave me a bear. That was really comforting. After the statement was recorded, the next step was to go to the hospital. A rape kit had to be done. Evidence needed to be gathered. I had to sit naked while the doctor pulled pieces of hair out for DNA and poked my finger multiple times to get blood samples. I learned years later that I was the first child the doctor ever performed a rape kit on. That's why he seemed so stressed out and had to poke my finger so many times. One man's decision to take the innocence of a child affects not only that child, but everyone else the child comes into contact with for years to come. As days, weeks, months, and even years went by, I struggled with the fear of every man that crossed my path. My own dad, I was afraid of him. For months after the incident, I believed I might be pregnant. The day I finally got the courage up to ask my mom if this was true, bless her heart, she was heartbroken to find out I had carried this fear around for so long. She told me no, sweetheart, and proceeded to explain to me how all of that works and assured me that was not something I needed to worry about. Learning what all of that meant at that age, let me tell you, was not fun. At the ripe age of eight, I contemplated suicide. I was doing dishes one day and decided to take a paring knife and hold it to my heart. The only reason I didn't pursue anything was because, bless my heart, I believed Jesus was in my heart and I didn't want to hurt him. I'm not sure I even knew what suicide fully meant at that time. All I knew was that I was hurting and it would feel better to not hurt anymore. I learned quickly that talking about how I felt made the confusing things I was feeling feel better. I attended a support group for kids at the Sexual Assault Center here in Lloydminster. It was there that I learned how to accept and understand what had happened to me. The counselor I had been seeing on a weekly basis told me I was a hero and that I was brave because I told my mom what happened. The offender was not going to hurt any more children. This made me feel super proud. Through all of those tough things, coming to terms with all the things I had been 
going through, my sister was riddled with survivor's guilt. I didn't know what that was back then, but I've come to know that means she blames herself for what happened to me. Because the one day she didn't walk home with me, this life-changing event happened. It's not her fault. I know this to be true because, for one, she took really great care of me. She would never let anything happen to me beyond her control. This man knew what he was doing. It's a mental illness. Those who think they can take what's not theirs, like innocence. Through the years, my mom and I would have conversations talking about that day. I learned new information, understand more about that, how that day affected every member of my immediate, extended family, friends, and then my husband and child. When I shared with my husband the events that took place when I was a little girl, he was naturally furious. He felt sad and helpless for that girl who he would end up loving and caring for someday. And someday I'll have to tell my son. We'll have to talk about safety rules and how we can't trust everyone we meet. Four years ago, I took a drive to Drayton Valley with my mom, sister, and my one and a half year old son. We went to my old school, walked the same path I walked 19 years prior, walked to the house we were living in at the time, which was only one block away from where the event happened. Everything looked and felt different as it should that many years later. I wasn't even sure what I was looking for or why I wanted to go. I just felt I needed to revisit that place as a grown woman, look at my literal past and say, look how far I've come. I didn't let this steal my joy. I didn't let it hinder me from getting married, starting a family and having a relationship with God. I forgive the man for hurting me because forgiveness is not for him, it's for me, so I can move on. Trauma is not something we can ignore. I've learned that the only way to deal with it is to face it, talk about it, learn from it. Talking about the things that make you afraid, the things that happened that day were difficult, but my mom made me talk about it. And so because of her, the love and support of my family, my relationship with Jesus and my resiliency to not let this traumatic event steal my joy. Um, 23 years later, I'm here sharing my story with all of you. I'm happy, I'm strong, and I can deal with whatever comes my way. Thanks, Nicole. That's obviously so hard to hear, but it seems like you're dealing with it really, really well. Thank you, you mentioned that you, about the pride, and I do really think that you should feel proud of yourself now, and I think you should be proud of that fierce little seven-year-old that ran home to tell mom. Mm-hmm. How different things would be had you, had you not had that you know, and how many people do not maybe have that as an option for them or that, you know, that strength or maybe that parent figure where they, they don't tell and how different your path would be if that was something you put in a box and carried around. Yeah, definitely. So you, you mentioned about the video recording and and running home to your mom. Um, Do you remember running home to your mom? What do you remember specifically kind of what you said? And can you walk us through a little bit of some of those very horrific details that you would have shared in, in the video recording? Well, I remember running home and seeing my sister and her friend walking out of the house and they were like, Nicole, where have you been? And I just like completely disregarded them. And I would just like ran in as soon as I could. And I think my mom was in the living room and I just lost it, verbally vomited it out, I guess, Mm -hmm. which is pretty crazy for, I feel like most kids would just, not most kids, I think a lot of kids would just not really know what to do with that information. But I just had so much trust in my mom, just always have. And I just felt like I'm just gonna tell her she knew exactly what to do as well. So I don't know. She just stayed completely calm and she didn't freak out. So yeah, it was just easy to tell her. So Nicole, we understand that, and you mentioned this to us before, that the community knew of this man and that his, where he was living in this kind of homemade shack just outside, you know, block away from where you live in the the treat area, just outside of town. What was that like? And can you share a little bit about how the community reacted to this man and why that known added to you probably trusting him in the first place? I don't know. A lot of people knew about him. I don't know if people necessarily knew where he lived, but he was just kind of always just like walking around, just kind of like a creepy guy. He had been known to him in like the school area and he would like chase people. And I guess he was known to like be kind of like a peeping Tom, like looking to people's homes and windows and things like that. And yeah, so I mean, once like the story made the 
paper and everything, people were pretty furious and frustrated that he had been reported and people had different um, instances and that with him and people were furious and scared living in such a small town that this is something that could happen. I think people were like just really shocked that yeah things like this do happen all the time. I think people were just really angry for for one that he was yeah not dealt with sooner. And so you mentioned and for our listeners he never went to you know a federal or provincial prison. He actually went into custody and was held in kind of a mental illness support center. You shared that there were definitely some uh, mental illness issues that probably added to why he was, you know, unable to function in society and why he had done many of his things prior to and obviously what happened to you. Can you share with our listeners a little bit about um, about that? Yeah, I learned later because I was unsure as to why he didn't get jail time, but my mom explained it to me. They just didn't think that he would be safe in jail <laughs> as really anybody who commits a crime like that would probably not be safe in jail. But I guess he, just his mental state just made him just not a very good candidate to go to real prison, I guess. So yeah, he just, I believe he only served a year and a half in this mental institution. I think it was in Edmonton. I think that's where they had him. But it it is a little infuriating that he didn't get more time. Nicole, you mentioned your mom and your sister in this. And so essentially, like, this is a family tragedy. Obviously, it affected you most, but it, it was really a family tragedy. Can you talk a little bit about that, like about the ripple effects that, that your mom, your dad, your sister have to deal with now? Yeah. I mean, my mom is okay with it because we together kind of um, went through it together. Like, we got counseling together, I guess. And I don't know, my sister got counseling as well. But to this day, she still blames herself, even though I've told her many times, it's not your fault. Yeah, it wasn't your fault at all. She still struggles with it. My dad still struggles with it as well. He feels angry that this happened and that he couldn't do anything to stop it or do anything after. I I would always tell my dad, I'm like, You just have to forgive and just move on. Like, this is, I don't know. It's just different for me, I guess, because I have forgiven and moved on with it. When you talked about your mom, like, can you talk about how important your mom is and how safe you felt telling her and what she does for a living and Mm -hmm. how it's helped you with your mental health for sure? Yeah, she's helped a lot and she still does. Like, we still talk about it to this day. Just different new information that I... Uh, never knew just like different ways of how she dealt with it as a mom and now and I understand that a little bit more uh, being a mom myself just how she would have felt through all of that yeah so your mom is a social worker yeah she is and so she is very trained in in mental health and 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 dealing with trauma yeah thankfully you hit the jackpot with your mom for sure I did yeah so I'm assuming that you know, you, you have this tragedy happen when you're seven years old and you deal with it as a child. Mm-hmm. And so your brain is not developed and you're not, you, you're processing it as a child, but then you're developing and then you're growing. And, and so now all this new information probably is coming up and new questions because your brain is developing and you probably have a lot of different questions and processing in a different way. Yeah. Um, you had lots of different questions and lots of different memories and lots of different ways to look at this experience as you got older. Yeah, I mean, I've looked at it differently as I've gotten older as well, but just new and different perspectives, just having more understanding. Yeah, and again, just becoming a mom myself. How has the- becoming a mom changed how you, how you look at this? I have fear that it could happen to my child as well. I'm partly, I'm grateful that he's a boy because it happens less for boys. It still happens for boys, but I'm, I'm scared about things like that. I'm more reluctant to let my son go to a kid's house without me being there. You just say, you never know, right? It's scary. I don't want it to happen to him, but I feel like if it did, I would know what to do and could definitely be there for him. I just hope it doesn't happen. This happened at such a, you were so young. 
And mm -hmm. something like this, how you talk about the stealing your innocence and, and it has such an impact. And sometimes we think, well, it's an incident, it happened, let's fix it, and then let's move forward. And mm -hmm. I think society, we like to like put a bandaid on it or do some quick fixes and then sort of put it away. And you're obviously continuing to learn about this and yeah. becoming a mom would change your whole you know, vision of this and how it impacts you and your first intimate relationship when that came along, what that looked like. How was it sharing this or how is it sharing this with an intimate partner or when does this come up when you have a new close friend and you're like, oh, hey, so I want to share something with you. Is it something you bring up? Is it something you wait till down the road? Everyone's different. Like I've told quite a few different people, different friends. And when I told my husband, he was like, I remember when, when I first told him, he's like, oh, that was always my biggest fear that I would love somebody that that happened to, or that was my biggest fear that that would happen to my sister or my mom. But I mean, he accepted it, obviously. And it, it didn't really affect our marriage in any way. It doesn't affect me in any way intimately with anybody. I've told different friends and they've all taken it differently as well. Like I told one girl one time, I was in kind of like an early friendship with her and she didn't take it well. And we haven't really talked again since. And I do have the tendency to overshare sometimes. So I don't know, maybe that's not always the way people, people don't always want to hear it. You said that you're big though on really keeping people in your circle that do understand this, work through this with you. Again, you you continue to kind of learn. The date was one thing that you weren't, you know, the specific date wasn't something that, that you remembered and that's something mm -hmm. and you're continuing to learn about this probably as you share it. And if yep. somebody does, you know, not handle this well and doesn't want to continue to have you in your life, you sort of remove them from your circle. Where do you think the strength comes from? I'm going to tell this story. This person says, no, you know what? I can't handle this. Or, you know, kind of takes a step back. Where's the strength to be okay with, with some of those people stepping away? Or does that, does that hurt for a while? I don't think it hurts. I definitely have a, my strength comes from many different things. Just my mom, for one, just because just being strong and resilient and my strength comes from God and just knowing that I can just deal with whatever comes my way. And if people don't accept it, then I guess they don't need to be there. And that's okay. That's an amazing viewpoint. Because <laughs> like, honestly, that is a very amazing, mature viewpoint. Because some, some people that would crush for sure. And you mm -hmm. do have this strong family foundation. And your mom has been such a prevalent factor in your life. And you talk about forgiveness and faith a lot. Mm -hmm. and that seems to be a, a resounding factor in your life. Can you talk to me a little bit about how forgiveness has played a factor in your mental health and how you've been mm -hmm. able to cope with all of these, you know, this tragic event? I kind of learned forgiveness really early on. I guess that was the first thing with forgiveness was forgiving the man that hurt me and just I've always been getting better at forgiving um I just feel like if you don't forgive it'll just weigh you down who taught me that um a lot of that comes from my faith in God uh, my mom said to me one time I can't remember exactly how she worded it but like why is your forgiveness greater than God's forgiveness and I was like yeah I mean he's the ultimate forgiver I'm not going to hold a grudge or not forgive somebody if just because they hurt me. I, I need to move on and I need to heal. And I just, I don't want to be weighed down by not being able to forgive somebody. And God forgives me every day. And so when yeah. you, when you think about that forgiveness, when you go back to October 16th, what does stand out in your mind that that moment? Is it physical pain because it, it must have been excruciating? Was it fear? Was it complete just like, did you shut down in that moment where you just sort of shut down and were like, okay, I'll just, this is an adult. I'll just, you know, listen, let me go when you let me go and leave. What, what does stand out that you've had to work the hardest on in terms of, of forgiving and, and letting it go and getting past it? I think the biggest thing was the uh, just emotional, the emotional thing I had to kind of forgive mostly just that he was so much older than me. I didn't know him and he just like took advantage of me and it was scary. Yeah, definitely scary. Like I thought I was never going to see my family again, you know, just 
statistically, most kids don't come out of that alive. He should have probably taken my life. Yeah, just mostly fear and just um, just being taken advantage of. Being an adult, looking back at that at that time, just thinking, wow, I was so young. And for someone, like I think he was 37 years of age, just to do something like that hurts a child like that, you know, who doesn't really understand what's going on, right? You to forgive him is um, amazing, like an amazing quality and of compassion for you. And it just, um, the quote uh, Anne Lamont said, oh, like always sticks with me is, um, not forgiving is like drinking rat poison and then waiting for the rat to die. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so really sticks with me. And, and you are a very strong example of compassion and forgiveness. So thank you for just emanating that into, into the world. Yeah, thank you. Nicole, what do you think was the greatest lesson that you learned as you've grown up and shared this with listeners and shared your story with other people? What do you think is the, the biggest thing that you've taken away from it that has um, molded you into who you are? Forgiveness definitely is one of the biggest things and just giving traumatic things and over to God. That was just a huge thing for me. I um, gave my life over to the Lord when I was 13, giving over to him the things that as a human are just really difficult to deal with on your own. And just, um, yeah, again, forgiveness, just like being able to let go and not let that take over your life. Any person who's gone through a traumatic event, if you let it just hover over your, over your head for the rest of your life, it's going to bring you down. So just being able to let go and let God, I guess, is kind of something that I've kind of, yeah, try to live my life that way. You mentioned you went back to Drayton Valley and walked the path. Did you ever wish that you could have a conversation with him as an adult? Did you ever wish that you could see him again or feel, you know, curious? Did you ever, you know, Google him, look him up, things like that? Was that ever a part of your, of your recovery? I, don't, I never really thought about having a conversation with him, I, though if that ever was an option I think I could have done it as an adult I would probably say to him if he was still here that I do forgive him because I think that's super powerful to tell somebody who's hurt you that you forgive them how how amazing would that be to have the opportunity to say that Mm -hmm. to that person right I don't know it was super kind of chilling to go back to Drayton Valley and walk that path again and but also super super empowering I'm super glad I did it and I would do it again I I might do it again in a few years I might take my son back there it's just some people don't understand and they're like oh that's kind of weird why would you do that but it's just like like I said just super empowering being able to walk that path and just be like wow look how far I've come I'm so strong I don't I don't know if people need to understand it if that's what you need to do and that it if it you know fills your bucket then then Mm -hmm. go there. When you went back, did you go and um, go into the wooded area? And is there any remnants of that building? We actually started from the school and because uh, I stayed back um, to help my friend who had fallen off the monkey bars, which is why my sister left without me. And so I walked the same path. I knew how to get home by myself, right? So we started at the school and there was like this wooded forest path so we walked completely and it was super eerie super eerie feeling it didn't really look the same that barbed wire fence was not there anymore that place where he had the shack beyond the woods because there was like a walking path and then there was the barbed wire fence and then inside the woods where his shack was that wasn't there anymore there was a church that had been built kind of on the peak of the hill where it happened and and then we walked down to the rental home that we lived in and it looked completely different like it had been renovated so yeah it felt eerie it felt different and looked super different it was also in a way kind of disappointing that it didn't feel the same but also kind of like relief that it didn't feel the same if that makes sense yeah and it didn't look the same either and I think it was a super crazy, crazy feeling to have brought my son through that as well. You know, I've grown up to have a child, even though he didn't know what was going on, what we were doing. We were just walking randomly in this place. He'd never been. He was only a year and a half at the time, right? So, but just for me, very powerful, like, wow, my son walked through this. Maybe 
will go together as he's older and he'll learn more about what that was like for me. And I'm sure he'll ask me questions as he gets older and do you keep in touch with any of the old you know support team that was there or any of the people in the community that obviously lived through this kind of outside of your family is there any of those relationships that you maintained not at all nope i was like in grade one so i don't really have any of those friends i did reach out to one girl that i went to school with and uh maybe like five years ago and she didn't respond back to me but I don't know because I, I think that when we left we we kind of picked up and left pretty quickly uh, we went and stayed with my grandparents for a couple of months while my parents moved out here to Lloydminster and it all just happened really fast my mom was like hey yeah we need to get out of here <laughs> so we did so yeah I, I'm, we're not in contact with anyone from Drayton Valley did you, did you ever go back to that school or you, you moved after that I think I went back to school after a week and I was there for maybe, I want to say a month. And then my mom sent my sister and I to my grandparents for, we were there for three months. And then my parents moved us out to Lloydminster here. So yeah, it was all really fast. Um, you mentioned that you possibly will walk that path with your son when he's older. And mm -hmm. I'm assuming he's going to ask questions. And how do you think you're going to react to those questions? Are you going to be very honest or are you going to kind of guard him a little bit? I'll be super honest. Like my mom was always the type of mom that was really open about any kind of question, no matter what it was, she was open about it. So I'll probably be the same. Normal day-to-day -day life questions and just, yeah, definitely uh, tell him openly what happened and Hopefully he's interested. If he's not, that's okay. <laughs> but I'll definitely be open with him. So how has this kind of changed your parenting? You kind of mentioned a little bit earlier about um, that you're fearful. And I mean, as a parent, everyone is fearful about that happening. That's, you know, parents' worst nightmare. And I mean, you are always cautious about your kids and making sure they're safe. And But I'm assuming for you, this is going to be a little bit hard navigating your your kid's life kind of thing. So how has this changed your parenting and are you extra cautious? Are you telling him, you know, safety precautions and all of that kind of stuff? Um, we definitely, like I teach him certain things like um, what's mom's phone number or what do you do? Uh, like we are, I'm teaching him safety rules right now. Like do you take candy from a stranger? No. Um, do you go up to a vehicle if someone asks you to come near? No, you know, I think that he, I'd like to think that he will not ever be in a situation like that. But I am really cautious, like sending him over to the neighbor's house. If they're the same type of parent that I am, if they're going to be watching them um, the way that I would. Uh, I am kind of a helicopter mom in some ways. I try not to be, but <laughs> I definitely have to try not to be anxious. I have to let him play with kids and uh, figure out his own wage. All I, all I know is that I have to just teach him the best way that I can, just like my mom did with me. You know, despite being taught safety rules, I still went, right? I just have to hope and pray that no matter what, even if I do teach him those safety rules, that God will protect him. And if he doesn't, and I potentially lose my son, uh, he was never mine to begin with. That's the way that I see it. And I know a lot of people don't um, see it that way, but he belongs to God. God has given me my son temporarily for this on this earth. And so uh, I have to try my best to be the best mom that I can be. And whatever happens, happens. Obviously, I will try to always keep him the safest that yeah, I can. That I mean, that speaks to like years and years of, of counseling and you obviously have a really strong grasp on, you know, your mental health and how to cope and like that's, mm -hmm. that speaks to your resilience. So that's amazing. Obviously, we're in a day and age that we have to worry about that stuff. It's actually been declining since the 90s. Like, um, that's good to hear. Yeah. So I'll throw up um, ways to keep your kids safe on the show notes and we'll, you know, and if anyone wants to uh, reach out to us. We'll definitely have those stats and um, lots of ways to keep your kids safe. So 
Kristen mentioned the counseling uh, piece, and we know that there were many different services and people that were a part of your recovery journey. What your faith, you mentioned your faith is, has been very important to you. Speaking just specifically about some of the counseling, what was some of the best counseling advice that you ever received? Mm, the one lady that I was seeing on a weekly basis, she told me that I was a hero and that has stuck with me for my whole life. And that just validates the act of telling, you know, somebody what happened, right? Being, I'm a hero. I was so brave. That was super helpful. And um, I remember going to this, it was the sexual assault group. And looking back, there was probably like 10 kids in that group that were, had gone through similar things. They taught us like this song called My Body. And just like, I sing it to my son now, which is kind of interesting. But um, yeah, I don't know if there's any major advice, just being supported, just being yeah, just supported by social workers and my mom and people that have taken what I've told them and been supportive. Mm -hmm. Just support goes such a long way. Yeah. Helps you validating your experience for sure. Yeah, for sure. Nicole, what would you want to say to someone that is struggling with their past and, and has had experiences similar to yours? What would you want to say to them? I would say tell somebody it just it just as soon as you begin talking about it it just starts to feel better it really does and then you can start the process of healing and making sense of things i know of some people that have held on to things for years and years and years as adults now that haven't necessarily shared with me but i know that they have held on to it for years and i just yeah my advice is just to talk about it. Even if you feel ashamed, it's not your fault. You got to start the process of healing at some point and that there are people to support you and people that understand and that people, yeah, that want to be there to listen. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you for sharing. I mean, you're doing that. You are living proof of, of doing that and sharing that. And it cannot be easy. Do you ever, I mean, you, you mentioned that you focus a lot of your attention on keeping your son safe and that you have you know, fear and anxiety in terms of um, this never happening to him. Do you still feel any type of fear? Like when you're walking through a park or, um, you know, doing something or meeting somebody new for the first time, do you, you yourself feel fear that something like this could happen again? I, yeah, I do. And I've been in situations where it could have happened, but um, I don't know if it's just like some supernatural strength that I have within I just think that if I was ever in a situation like that again, I would like to think that I would be able to talk my way out of it <laughs> or fight my way out of it. I'm not sure if that's realistic, but <clears throat> that's how I feel. I don't know. N not necessarily. Even if I was in a situation like that and I couldn't talk my way out of it or get my way out of it, I could mentally get out of it. I have that control and that power within myself to be able to um, heal. I've done it before and I could do it again. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Did you, did you remember fighting or were you kind of frozen when, when the incident actually took place? I only remember one point when he shut and locked the door. I immediately tried to unlock and open the door and then he just pushed me and I was like, Kate, I'm not getting out of this. So I just, kind of let it happen. I didn't really fight because for some reason I thought that if I was going to try to fight, it was going to turn out differently. Like I said, I thought he was going to kill me. And maybe if he tried to kill me, maybe I would have tried to fight, but I just kind of thought being a seven-year-old girl, I don't know at the time, like, I don't know why. Maybe that God was definitely with me in that moment too. You know, there were so many different things I could have done. I was set free. I'm grateful. Yeah. Well, there's no right way or wrong way to, to live through something like that. Mm -hmm. um, what would you say to someone who maybe has gone through salt or, and is holding it inside? What would you say to somebody who is really struggling? Like you mentioned, you know, talk about it. How do you get the courage up to do that? I don't know. I had a lot of courage as a seven-year-old, so I don't know what it would be like 
to hold that in. I've never been someone to hold anything in. I don't know. Um, I guess you just have to muster up some kind of uh, courage at some point in your life. I don't know. Find somebody that you think you can really trust and just let them have it. Yeah. <laughs> or just pray, you know. I don't know. Or just write it out. You could write it out. You're not necessarily telling somebody but you're getting it out maybe that's a really good first step write it out and maybe you'll have the courage to tell somebody at some point right or Hopefully. maybe even pass that's yeah great advice and maybe even just pass the writing off and you don't necessarily have to to speak it you can write it out and pass that off Kristen was it Tyler that said you just have to start like start with with one word and I feel like it was Tyler Lorenz that when he was talking about getting things out and wanting help that you just have to start with like, I need help. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Once you start there then things do start flowing, but I need help is such a powerful, you know, one sentence to get yourself going. Yeah. And find someone that you feel safe with. And I, I think honestly, for me, secrets keep you sick. And who said that I'm definitely, I'm not responsible for saying that, but um, secrets and um, holding on to shame and you know those bad emotions that make you feel awful they keep you they keep you unwell and they keep you in the shame spiral so if you find that one person yeah. or write it down or you know write it down and then when you find that one person say okay I wrote this down I, I'm brave enough now or or find that right time so yeah, yeah. I do I do feel like it's it's so important to tell someone and if you tell that one person life gets infinitely better I've heard of people writing it down and burning it I don't know if, if you're not the type of person to like share just I don't know try to like deal with it in your with yourself in that way I don't know obviously I would recommend telling somebody but if you wrote it out and burned it you got to close it somehow you got to open it deal with it and close it somehow you know I don't really know how that would work because I, I don't work that way. I'm not wired that way. I'm a share. And everyone, <laughs> yeah, and everyone ha is wired so different. Um, uh, Dr. Masri said he, he's, he has a, obviously a very demanding job and he said, I feel my emotions. And I think humans have so many emotions and we need to feel them in different ways. But we definitely, I, I am infamous for this. I'm getting better at it, but I don't feel my emotions sometimes. And, and it builds up. But if you mm -hmm your emotions and if you talk to someone you know if you talk to a friend or a husband or whoever is your safe place it definitely yeah. gets better for sure yeah well and for people who don't necessarily have somebody in their life um, maybe you know their their path has not been filled with a, a nice tight circle of great support like your mom was for you there are professionals in the community that do yes. have and have dedicated their lives and their work to trying to be there and that there are people. And I think it's hard because you think of say the sexual assault center, you think of this sexual assault center as this, this entity and that it's not made up of people, but it is made up of people. And if you walk in there and you say, you know, I need help. And you say that one liner. Yeah. yeah. We know that about the Lloydminster, you know, for, for example, the Lloydminster sexual assault center, we know a lot of people that work there and they're a great example of if you walk through the door and say, I need help, they're going to help you. So it doesn't yeah. matter what community you're in. And if you walk through a door and say, I need help of an agency like that, and they don't help you, go find another agency. Keep going until you yeah. find somebody. It's like counseling, right? Like, I mean, I, we are big advocates of, of counseling and therapy. And it takes sometimes a while to find a counselor or a therapist that is your fit. And they, you know, they try and I think, you know, they enter those professions with the best of intention, but maybe they're just not quite your fit. Find, yeah. find somebody else. Give it a try and, and wait until you find a fit that is for you. Or call a hotline. You don't necessarily have to be face to face to that person, right? Mm -hmm. They're just a, a voice, someone to listen to, right? Yeah. yeah you can even text right. now. You yeah. know, for for people. Yeah. Yeah. So you recently had a birthday. Happy belated birthday. Oh, thank you. Uh, you shared with us that your twenties were a little bit rough and that you are embracing 30. So can you share with yeah. us a little bit about why the twenties were maybe rough and why you are all excited to get those wrinkles and wisdom, <laughs> the wisdom that you shared before? Um, yeah, my twenties were difficult. Um, just like relationships. I went through a time just finding my identity through men for some reason. I don't know, just thinking that like, if somebody wanted to be with me, it didn't matter if I liked them or not. 
I would just be with that person because it was, I had really low self-esteem. It took me a long time to kind of find myself, to find confidence. I would say that I'm more confident in the last year of my life than ever. And I love myself for the first time in a long, long time. I'm grateful to be 30 and just looking forward to the next decade and what that brings. Yeah, like I said, I'm excited for the wrinkles and all the um, all the things that come with being 30 and just the things that I can learn and yeah, more understanding. Oh, that makes me so happy to hear. It makes my heart happy. <laughs> was there a, was there a specific, we talk lots about identity defining moments. What was the shift for you? Um, and I, I think that I'm just going to say many women, the twenties can be rough in terms of self-esteem, loving your body, um, putting up with um, the different pressures that we go through and that kind of thing, let alone having faced something like sexual assault. Was there a moment for you that kind of went off like, okay, I got to get a hold of this, this um, insecurity and I need to start loving myself more. Was there a specific moment or was it gradual? Uh, I think more gradual. Yeah, a few different um, experiences in my life keep pushing me to figure out how to love myself. And I went through a time when I hated my body. I, I mean, that's still something that I deal with on the daily, I guess. I feel like most people do, but now I can look at myself and kind of love myself from the inside out and outside in as well. Um, it's still a process, definitely. Definitely gradual though. Still trying to figure it out. Don't have it all figured out yet, but I am liking the way that I'm headed, loving myself and accepting myself and um, letting go of certain insecurities. And how do I say that? <laughs> what are some of those insecurities? And I mean, this is a really raw question. So feel free to be like, Jesse, come on. <laughs> what are some of those insecurities that you want to like get rid of, shred, get burned, so to speak? You know, I only have one major insecurity and it's not, it's hard to explain because it's like when I look, it's the stretch marks I have on my stomach from having my son. So when I look at my body and I see that, I think, wow, my, I grew my son, but that is the most beautiful thing. But I think where the insecurity comes in is somebody seeing that and being not not seeing it the same way that I do. I guess just worrying about what someone else might think when they see that and just trying to get past that. Yeah, and I've realized too, like there's some things too that I am insecure about all the time. I've realized too, I'm a little bit older than you, not much. <laughs> um, but I've kind of real, and I've, I've had a lot of trauma to my body as far as like health issues and, and Jesse as well. and and is not the same that's like a marker if someone doesn't see your body in the same way meant for you right that's totally. like a god-given marker like yeah they move on that's mm -hmm. you know and then you find someone that realizes that that's awesome and amazing and those are your warrior marks yeah <laughs> yeah I definitely want to uh, feel that people see me the way that God sees me and the way that I am learning to see myself as well. Yeah, so we're so much harder on ourselves than yeah. everyone else, for sure. It's true. But there, there's a lot of things that I've learned in therapies, just like um, talking to yourself, reminding yourself that you're okay to look the way you do. Yeah, I did have a child and also, yeah, putting yourself in the same box as other women. It, when you start to feel alone and isolated, it, is, it does feel lonely. And it's, uh, when you think about other women who have that too, it's like, well, you're not so alone. Even if you look at yourself and you try to compare yourself to you, someone else that you think is more beautiful than you or whatever, be like, we're all beautiful. That person who I think might be more beautiful than me they have things and insecurities that they have too maybe they have stretch marks on their stomach too that they are insecure about as well just may just normal normalizing it I guess so you're sharing your story and you are getting to these vulnerable places often and we talk about that when you when you are vulnerable and you share 
parts of your story that are so raw, you kind of get like, you get kind of a vulnerability hangover from them. What is it, and obviously my why is um, important to us and knowing the whys are important. Um, why do you do this? Why do you share? Why do you do the tough stuff of trying to get past insecu insecurities? I share because I want to connect with people. I want, if there's one person out there that has held on to something for a lot of years, what if they hear my story and they're like, wow, she's brave and she's really resilient and has grown up to really not let it bother her. I would want someone to hear that and think that you can do the same. Getting it out there, it's always good to raise awareness, right? That these that people do deal with these things. There's probably people, like if you're in a restaurant, there's gotta be at least one person in that restaurant that has struggled through something similar or wishes that they could share about it. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, the, a fear really holds a lot of people from not sharing. Thank you so much for sharing. If you could tell the listener one thing today, what would it be? Believe in yourself. <laughs> that uh, you, uh, you can get through anything, no matter what it is. Humans are such strong people, like we emotionally, physically, like don't let someone hold you back or you let yourself hold you back from um, healing or asking for help or anything like that. Just grow and be the best version of yourself. Don't let anything get you down. Well, thank you so much, Nicole, for sharing with us. And I mean, you've greatly impacted when Kristen first heard you speak. Um, she knew she needed to dive in and, and share your story with more people. And obviously, um, I'm a huge Nicole fan <laughs> and think that you are so, so strong. And we come back to that, that hero comment that got you through so much of this, right? You are your own hero. You are your hero for your son. And we really believe that you'll be a hero for others. And thank you for sharing everything. We truly think that your story is one that, you know, in Canada, it's such a, for the most part, such a safe country. We don't think of abduction and um, sexual assault as something that often people don't want to talk about and does have stigmas attached to it. And we want to squash those stigmas. And if you have um, gone through something like this, um, or this was triggering for you, please reach out to somebody you know and you trust. And uh, there are so many different community organizations that can help you if um, somebody doesn't jump to mind. So again, thank you. Please check out the show notes for more information on Canada and how sexual assault uh, impacts people across our country. Thank you again, Nicole, for coming on. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Nicole.